a reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says Kohelet. Vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. What profit has man from all the labor which he toils at under the sun? One generation passes and another comes, but the world forever stays. The sun rises and the sun goes down, then it presses onto the place where it rises, blowing now toward the south, then toward the north, the wind turns again and again, resuming its rounds. All rivers go to the sea, yet never does the sea become full. To the place where they go, the rivers keep on going. All speech is labored. There is nothing one can say. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear satisfied with hearing. What has been that will be, what has been done that will be done, nothing is new under the sun. Even the thing of which we say, see this is new, has already existed in the ages that preceded us. There is no remembrance of the men of old, nor of those who come Will there be any remembrance among those who come after them? The word of the Lord. The book of Ecclesiastes, which Bible scholars like to call Koheleth, who is the, the name of the author of the book, is a beautiful, achingly beautiful book. It's very poetic. Tomorrow you'll hear the most famous passage, There is a Time for everything, a time to plant, a time to uproot the plant. That will be tomorrow's reading from Koheleth. Uh, it's a beautiful and poetic reading. It's only 12 chapters, so it's fairly easy for you to read the whole book, and I do recommend it. However, you want to pack a flashlight, and you want to pack some comfort food, because it's a depressing book. <laughs> it's a very depressing book. The guy is having either a very bad day, or maybe, maybe just he's a depressive guy. He, it's a very depressed book. Uh, he, he is not a happy person who's, who's talking uh, in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He, he, he basically is, seems to be making an argument through much of the book that life is meaningless, that life is meaningless. And he, he brings up three very strong arguments. Uh, the, the first argument is time. He says that time creates this drudgery of life, that the the sun goes up, but then it goes down again, and then it goes up, and it goes down again, and the waves crash in, and they crash out again, and there's nothing new under the sun. And, and he sees this as this terrible drudgery uh, that, that he's found nothing to delight him anymore in his, in his old age. Uh, that's the first uh, uh, argument for being depressed. <laughs> the second is, is death, that death is going to come to all of you. And it doesn't matter how holy you are or how smart you are, death is still going to come. And the third and perhaps the most troubling is he talks about 
what, what I would call random undeserved misfortune. So sometimes we misbehave and we get, we get terrible misfortune from it. He says, no, sometimes you, you don't misbehave, you do everything right and misfortune still comes to you. Sometimes you can be the holiest person in the planet, you can be the smartest person in the planet, uh, and, and yet misfortune could still strike you. Uh, and, and he's not wrong, isn't he? I mean, that, that's true, isn't he? Isn't it? So it's, it's a very dark book. So why do I like it so much? Because I'm not a very depressive kind of guy. So why would I like it? I think it could do two things for us. Do two things for us in our, our Christianity, and specifically in our Christian joy. Number one, uh, he, he argues that there's nothing on this earth that will bring us lasting joy. And you know he's right. Nothing on this earth, nothing in, in this, this side of heaven. Uh, he, and we know that vice, the sins, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, we know that's not going to bring us joy. We know that already. He actually says even the gifts from God on this earth will not bring everlasting joy. For example, he's a sage and he's a, a person of wisdom. He says not even wisdom will bring everlasting joy. And he says not even relationships, because relationships end in death, if not before. So what, that, what does that tell you and me? That our Christian joy must be rooted in the everlasting. Full stop. Our Christian joy must be rooted in the everlasting. The everlasting God. Period. Not even in the gifts from God. The everlasting God. God's self. That's number one. And number two, I think the author is challenging you and me not to have a Pollyannish Christian joy, a, a joy that's just sort of intoxicated, that everything is beautiful and there's sunshine and there's flowers and isn't everything just wonderful. He, he's forcing us to say, no, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of pain in the world, and, and our joy must account for that. Or, or if it doesn't account for it, then at least we have to say, we surrender it all up to God, and we trust that we have a good God, even though there's some evidence that from our human logic seems to point against it, we're going to always trust that our God is good. And, and, and so our joy ends up being a sober joy, and that's a good thing, and that's a gift that, that Koheleth can give us, this joy of sobriety, this, this faith that tells us, yes, it's true, there's a lot of bad things in the world, a lot of pain and suffering, but even though I walk in the valley of the, of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, because God is at my side. Even if I don't feel him today, I still believe he's at my side. That's the sort of joy that is real and authentic, and that perhaps even Koheleth could buy into.